Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Rose and I'm an addict and I am a um, um, I am a child of incest and alcoholism, a sufferer from PTSD, bereaved mother, um, and a person with tendency to eating disorders. And a bit of slur stuff in the background too. Um, yeah, I think the only reason why I never ended up going to GA is because I've carefully avoided those places. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm an all-round addicted person. Yep. Okay, uh, I was born um, uh, to a middle-class, rather sciencey, uh, intellectual um, uh, family uh, about two weeks before it turned 1960. Uh, actually, I think it was two weeks before it turned 1960, and um, uh, in a beach suburb in Adelaide, in South Australia, which is mo the most Englishy part of Australia, you know, for anyone who's got familiarity with Australian accents and shit, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm from. And uh, I just didn't fit. I just never fitted. Seriously. I didn't fit into my family. I didn't fit into my clothes. I didn't fit into my school. I just didn't fit anywhere. Never fitted anywhere, you know. Um, I, uh, because drinking was the norm in my family, I had my first drink when I was three years old, and I sculled it and held out the glass to be refilled instantly. Yes, please. It wasn't quite as instant as I would have liked, but I succeeded in persuading them to come across with some more, eventually. And um, I had my first suicide attempt at five, and um, that escalated, of course, you know, con continued to, like, you know, have suicide attempts. Kept, uh, uh, it, it escalated somewhat in my teens, yeah. Um, I was an escapist. I was an isolated child, very, very isolated child. And, and I was an escapist, and I escaped mostly into books and to alcohol. Those were my big kicks, big kicks. And uh, by the time I was 12 years old, um, it was hell. Life was, life was hell. I was getting beaten up at home. Um, uh, there were rapes. Uh, there were... Um, um, I was... I, I, I was... Ooh, now it says my internet connection is unstable. I'm very, very sorry about that. Um, and then uh, and I, I was getting pissed. By the end of lunchtime every day at school, I was getting pissed, you know, and um, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, spending any money on food at school. I was just spending all my money on cigarettes. I didn't have to spend any money on alcohol because my family were into drinking so much alcohol. They had vast quantities at home and I could just help myself out of one of those kitty kind of like drink flasks, you know, um, every morning before I took off. Neat. Neat. Nobody even noticed. Take a little bit from this one, a little bit from that one, a little bit. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Um, and, um, yes, yeah, so, uh, uh, I tried to take some notes, but I probably won't be able to read them. Yeah, look, my my suicidality in uh, by the time I was uh, twelve years old, even though life was hell, the main reason why I actually wanted to help myself wasn't so much because my life was hell, it was because I had this over responsibility sense, 
that I felt awful about being part of a culture that um, uh, that 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 destroyed habitat, um, obliterated species, um, enslaved and abused, you know, <laughs> indiscriminately, and I just felt disgusted by it all. And um, and uh, I was kicked out at sixteen years old. Look, see, my my family were really um, yeah, they were they were into like they were like mathematicians and engineers and stuff like that, right? Okay, you know, like as well as being drunks, of course. Um, but I was a poet. <laughs> I just always had my nose in a book, you know. Um, I liked painting and drawing and stuff like that. There was nothing relatable. There was nothing at all relatable. Nothing at all relatable. The only thing that we had in common was the booze. Oh, and the red hair. And the red hair. We all had red hair. And all the genetic lines all the way down back both sides of the family all had red hair. So that was the one thing. So red, red hair and booze. That's it. And, um, yeah, so I just didn't feel like I belonged. And uh, there's, uh, there's a show, uh, it's, probably not, it's probably not as familiar to, uh, to North American folk. Um, there was a show I got exposed to um, uh, when I was a child, a TV show called Doctor Who, okay? And uh, Doctor Who had a TARDIS, you know, time and relative dimensions in space. I'm still a fan. Anyway, I would go to bed every night hoping that my bedroom would turn into a TARDIS and that I would wake up in the morning and I would open that door and I would be on some other planet, uh, maybe somewhere where I felt like I belonged or even just someplace different, just someplace different. And, um, yeah, it didn't happen. Um, but uh, <laughs> I kept escaping and... Um, by the time when I when I was twelve, I, I found other drugs in the form of like uh, smoking dope, um, cannabis, and um, was kicked out when I was sixteen. Um, it was weird shit. It was weird. It was weird shit. My family was weird shit um, because uh, my siblings were like supported to go through university, and I was kicked out at sixteen. You know, didn't make any sense to me, but it was just I was other. I was always other. You know. Um, I found, uh, I was, I lived under a bush in the South Parklands in Adelaide, uh, for a couple of months. And it, I think it says a lot that I actually felt safer there than I had ever before in my life at that particular point in time. And even though there were some dreadful things that happened while I was living under that bush, um, it was still safer than it was being with my family. Um, I discovered other hippies uh, when I hitchhiked to Sydney and um, in uh, in Kings Cross in Sydney, I found other hippies and uh, I'd already been introduced to hallucinogens and we took a lot more hallucinogens and read Carlos Castaneda and, you know, started hearing, hearing about Timothy Leary and all that kind of stuff, you know, did all that kind of shit. And, um, and, uh, and then... I decided that what I needed to do was to grow my own family. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention. I, I had my, my first lover was a girl, uh, another little girl, when I was 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was, I decided that I would sleep with dudes because I wanted to fall pregnant. That's, but I wanted to grow my own family. I wanted to grow my own family. 
The family I was born to was fucked. And so I needed to grow my own. <laughs> okay, that's what I had to do. I had to grow my own family, right? Okay, you know, start again, start again, grow my own family, and maybe I'll feel safe and I feel like I'll have some place that I belong and stuff. It's not a particularly good reason to have a child, I must say. But it was my reason, and I know for a fact that I am not the only young woman who has done that. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Anna. Yes, yeah, so uh, it took me a long time to fall pregnant. Damn. <laughs> it took over a year for me to fall pregnant, and I, and, um, and, and I went through this process, and, and uh, I was always a bit... Um, isn't it quite amusing that guys could get pumped for information about whether or not they'd ever been known to cause pregnancy previously very easily in the first two minutes of conversation and not even know that they were being pumped. <laughs> I thought that was very, very interesting. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I did feel pregnant and then I ended up uh, at six months pregnant deciding to get married to the dude because... He just wouldn't shut up. He just kept hustling me to marry him. And I've got to tell you, that is an incredibly lousy reason to get married, to shut someone up. <laughs> it's not a good reason. So not a good reason. That's what I did. And I left him six months later after he'd thrown my daughter at a wall. Okay. I ran away to Queensland, far north Queensland. Um, and uh, stayed in hipping households uh, until we were kicked out. Because my kid just basically would never shut up. <laughs> she just screamed all the time. And um, I wasn't a particularly functional person either. And um, yeah, we barely survived um, being stuck in a caravan during a cyclone. I mean, the cyclone had been cabled into the ground, okay, but it was getting buffeted around it a lot, you know, in, in the cyclone. And... Uh, uh, and uh, because I got infectious, I got infectious hepatitis, and she was a screaming baby. <laughs> and um, yeah, the caravan leaked, and she pissed, and and I came in and out of delirium. And um, a really kind dairy farmer came along and rescued us and took us into hospital. And um, and I, I mention that because the thing is that amongst all the insanity in my life. They have been here and there just dotted these really kind people. Not religious people. I mean, the religious, religious people would have quite often, you know, kind of charity and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, people who just basically gave a shit. Just, who just cared enough to give a shit. Every now and then. Every now and then. And, uh, and he was one of those people. And, um, yeah, and so we survived. Amazing. Um, yeah, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't end up taking um, um, uh, narcotics until about 1983. I had always had this perspective that you'd have to be really, really desperate to get out of it, to stick a needle in your arm, okay, to get out of it, I thought, because I didn't like needles, uh, so I never thought that I would. I never, ever thought that I would. Um, but uh, I ended up with my liver so badly affected um, I'd say not just from the hep, I think because I also picked up um, hep C uh, from a uh, government dentist when I was 19. And um, not that anybody knew what it was at that particular point in time, they didn't. Um, uh, but yes, by the time I was in my early 20s, I was suffering legendary hangovers. 
legendary five-day hangovers that were just unfreaking believable. And uh, and so it wasn't cutting it anymore. I mean, the grog wasn't cutting it anymore as a means of relieving my pain. It just wasn't working anymore. And so when a comparatively new girlfriend was hustling me for money because she wanted to score um, um, some narcotics, I went, okay, I'll pay for it just as long as you get enough for me too, you know. And that was it, you know. I was hell-bent. I wanted to find a way to feel better. And it worked. I felt better. Wow. Freedom from mental pain, freedom from physical pain. Wow, I'd arrived. I finally found the thing that worked. That worked. Far out, you know. Made it possible for me to function. Um, I was quite impatient with other people who'd like not often scratch and do all that kind of shit because I'd think, fuck, you're wasting the fucking stone. How dare you? You know, I'd be kicking them and digging them in the ribs and I was a pain in the ass. I really was. And, um, but I felt better. I felt better when I was off my face. But it didn't last long. It didn't last long. It only took another two, three years um, for the amount of um, of heroin, of smack, scag, whatever you want to call it, slow it was for what, um, the amount that it took for, for my pain to be relieved was the amount that had me dropping with overdoses. It just didn't take long. It really... I took a nose dive really fast. I'm always fascinated. People <laughs> just people who could like use for like 30, 40 years to stay like, I don't know. I couldn't even make it four. I could not even make it four years, you know? But I guess I was a total pig for it, you know? And it wasn't that I my definition of a good time was to just not feel pain. That was all I wanted was to just not feel pain. So anyway. Um, funny story, I got to NA and, um, because, because I didn't think I was an addict, right? I didn't think I was an addict. I thought I was a mess. Uh, I thought that I probably needed to be taken out, okay? Really taken out and shot, seriously. Um, but I didn't think that I was an addict. Um, I just knew I was self-medicating, basically, that's what I was doing. Uh, however, what I used to do to get by, because I was on a pension, I was a sole parent, you know, like it was times really, you know, everything was really tight all the time. Um, uh, I used to, you know, like run drugs for people or, you know, you know, take drugs here and there or do childcare for working girls and all that kind of stuff. You know, I just, just did a lot of stuff for other, just a lot of stuff for other addicts, you know anything so I could get paid in drugs. Anyway, this guy rang me up and um, he quite frequently asked me to uh, to smuggle drugs into him uh, when he was in a detox. And, uh, and so I was, you know, already mentally gearing up for that. And he said that he'd agreed to go to this thing, this meeting thing, and he actually thought it was a cult. He thought it was a cult and that he was going to be kidnapped and brainwashed and all this other shit, right? And so... Um, <laughs> So he he said that he would pay me in drugs if I went to this thing just in case he got kidnapped so I could take down the number plate and, you know, tell his parents and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I ended up being paid in drugs to go to my first NA meeting. Now that's pretty bizarre, isn't it? That's pretty wild. Yeah. That's pretty wild. And that's probably what it would have taken to get me there. And, um, yeah, that's what happened. 
Yeah, so, and, and I just, and I cried. I just cried a real lot, you know, because these people actually cared. These people cared enough to listen to me. They say, how are you? Like, they really cared. They really cared to know what the answer was, you know. Um, they'd asked me to share and I just burst into tears. I mean, I didn't stay clean for the longest time, but they knew it was okay to ask me to share because I would just say who I was and that I was an addict and I'd just burst into tears. So it was fine. And I wasn't going to be taking up space, you know, having some drug-fucked rave, you know. I wasn't going to be doing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, and it took me a long time. I didn't, I didn't do a detox. I didn't do a rehab. I didn't do any of those things. Um, I just kept coming back to the meetings. And in the meetings, again, I found kind people. Not all of them. Not all of them were really kind. Most of them are quite reasonable, you know. But a couple of them were really, really kind. Really, really kind, okay. And I kept coming back. And eventually I thought, after the death of a very close friend, um, who I had always thought of as amazing, absolutely amazing woman, sole parent, she'd run restaurants, been a junkie, travelled overseas, all this other stuff, you know, far out, you know. And, um, and she died and uh, I saw her son, her 11-year-old her son at her funeral and I saw what he was going through and I recognised in a blinding flash, I recognised that that uh, that my daughter was going to be in the same position and she wouldn't have to work till she was 11 and she would still be eight years old, you know. And, uh, and, that, uh, and that given that her, her uh, other biological parent uh, was a pedophile as well as being extremely abusive, um, that, uh, that the only thing I could really do to protect her was to stay alive myself. Fuck. Just so not what I wanted to do. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a go, what these NA people say. I'll try it out. I'll try this complete abstinence thing, which up until that point I'd not been willing to do. I'd not been really willing to try. And, um, and so I gave it a try, complete abstinence. And I put a time limit on it, of course, you know. And given that I was on a pension, it came in once a fortnight, uh, I made it for a fortnight, okay, you know, right, right. So on a pension, I'm going to try just not picking up anything for two weeks just for two weeks. If things don't get it better inside of two weeks, I know what I'm going to do. And um, and things did get better, only a tiny bit, just a, just a tiny, tiny bit, just slightly better, just slightly better. It was enough to keep me coming back. And I thought, well, if that's how much better things got after like two weeks, maybe it'll kind of like keep getting better like that, you know, really. First, first year, first year recovery, I reckon I used a, uh, I reckon chocolate was my high power. I reckon that was the thing. I um I, I ate at least one family-sized block of chocolate every day, and um I gained about five stone. I don't know how to translate that into into pounds or, or kilos or anything, but it was about five stone. Okay, I think basically a whole other human being. You know, substantial, reasonable-sized human being. Not not a not a little. Not a little, you know, twiggy girl. No, 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 no. Substantial human being. And um, and so at, uh, at 12 months clean, I went, oh, I would have to come to grips with this eating problem I've got. And so, um, and so I started uh, doing groups and stuff like that and, and, uh, and went to another fellowship to learn a bit more about how to come to grips with that. And um, 
so but I kept coming back to NA because this still felt like my home it's my home so you know I kind of slightly you know two years two, so two years clean two years clean it occurred to me finally that I was a child of alcoholism and that maybe I needed to look into that you know so I went off to another group went off to another group but I kept coming back here kept coming back to NA and um started working that started learning about the ism you know how it gets passed down the generations and all that kind of stuff and and even though that I saw my father as a um as an ogre a violent ogre you know that uh, when I actually you know took out all the bits and pieces that made him look like uh, uh, that the, the associated were, were associated with his um, with his alcoholism I realized that emotionally he was about three years old just about three years old you know and really had no idea how to function in the world and went wow that's amazing and then about uh, five five years clean I realized that that my relationships had been really 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 super super dysfunctional okay you know and so I started trotting off to you know some other meetings <laughs> some other meetings to do with my uh, to do with my uh, sex and love addiction okay and then at six years clean the penny dropped that I had actually been um, sexually abused as a child that, the, that's when the penny finally dropped that I'd actually been incested and I drew the line on that one I went I don't freaking want to know I am sick of this shit I don't want to know I don't want to know I'm busy I'm studying I'm being a sole parent I'm doing lots of service and um, you know I'm working studying doing all the stuff you know I don't want to know I so don't want to know I don't want to go there don't want to go there and uh, and so I avoided it I avoided it and um, and things started coming unraveled because I avoided my style that's the thing that's that's the thing that I really got out of that is that I really can't avoid my stuff if I avoid my stuff the thing is I like I mean yeah sure I kind of picked up that was really only the by the way you know what I actually did was I tried killing myself you know I mean along the way I picked up a dysfunctional relationship I dropped out of uh, I dropped out of uni um, I figured out I couldn't work anymore um, I told my sponsees to all go and look elsewhere because basically I didn't have a, have it to give away, you know. Um, I stopped doing meetings because it's, they stopped feeling like they were working because I think it's because I wasn't able to be my authentic self and so therefore I did not feel authentically connected to other people, you know. I think that's the reason why it started feeling like the meetings weren't meeting my needs anymore. And, um, yeah, and I tried to open myself. So I did. I took a whole heap of somebody else's pills, you know, in the hopes that it would take me out. It didn't even put me to sleep. I mean, what the f Seriously. That's just so rude. <laughs> but my sponsor said I had to start again anyway. I mean, you know, like if I was going to bust, I, I would have been would have been on something decent, I would have thought. But no, 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 no. It's here for somebody else's pills. I couldn't feel any effect from whatsoever. And, um, yeah, so... um. And then I learned that I had to work on my stuff. I had to go into the interior world. 
that it wasn't all about the exterior world. It wasn't about trying to uh, trying to um, placate, I guess, my family with a, with some sort of university degree, or um, you know, make the rest of the world think that I was a better person because uh, because I had a job, or you know, it, it, it wasn't about any of that kind of stuff. It wasn't about how I looked. It was about how I felt inside. What was really going on inside of me it was about owning my style, owning my own style. And, um, and uh, yes, yeah, so that is a whole other thing. And then I started looking at my ancestor. And wow, hasn't that been a journey? Far out. And, and then through that process of talking to other people, other women in particular, you know, with similar stories, I realized that I had been constructed as a, as a victim by my abuser to keep me isolated so that the, the story wouldn't even be told. My father, you know, like the sexual stuff was fucking neither here there, be serious here, yeah. Sorry, I keep swearing, I don't mean to. Um, um, to that stuff's kind of neither here nor there. It's all the other stuff that was done. It's the stuff that was done to isolate me. It's the way that my siblings were encouraged to, uh, to bully and tease me, you know? It's the way that, um, the way that I'd be enrolled in something and then I'd be told, I was always, I was being told, you know, like the ballet, I was told that the ballet teacher had said that I danced like a little elephant, okay? And so, of course, I didn't have to go back to ballet school after that, you know. And I was told that Brownell, you know, I was enrolled in brownies, I was told that, uh, that uh, the Brownell didn't want me back, you know. I don't know why, I was probably the best behaved child in the class. I mean, I was... Uh, what they termed a good child, a good in those days in a child meant uh, biddable and undemanding. That's how I was. I was biddable and undemanding. I was definitely good. Okay. Um, but yes, I was told that, you know, the piano teacher didn't want me back. Uh, Brown, I didn't want me back. It didn't matter what I got enrolled in. It was always for a really brief period of time, you know. And it was, it was a, and I realized, I realized from talking to others that I'd been set up. I had been seriously set up for a really serious, seriously, seriously, you know, seriously gaslit and isolated and messed with, seriously messed with, you know. And that whole stuff had imprinted on me, you know, that I believed that I was less than. I seriously believed that I was less than, you know, that I was worthless. You know, that's what I really believed. I mean, wonder I was ever trying to take myself out. Of course I was, because that was the information that I was given. Um, at some point in the late 90s, I had a realization, uh, so I was drifting off to sleep, some stuff happened, and I realized that one of the reasons why I'd been programmed to self-destruct is because, is because I am the evidence. I am the evidence of what was done, okay? And the surest way to get rid of the evidence was to have me destroy myself. The surest way, far out. And I realized that the most powerful political thing that I could possibly do was to survive. Survive in spite of it, you know? And um, yeah. And uh, and so I set about just doing that. Uh, now along the way, along the way, because and I, I, I blame my um, this, the, my childhood primarily for 
for this. My daughter passed away. My daughter passed away uh, about 23 years ago. She's my only child. Okay, only bad one. Um, so I didn't feel like going through that process again. Anyway, <laughs> so so I only ever had the one child, and um, and uh, and we were actually really close. We were actually really really close. And um, and she killed herself. She killed herself. And um, she killed herself over a boy. Okay who had killed himself, okay? And uh, her whole obsession that she had with um, thinking that she had to be partnered and that one particular person had to be a partner and, um, and always looking for a, a guy to kind of like fix her and, you know, make her life right and all that kind of stuff. I realised that that actually... Um, That actually came from the shit that was done to me, the impact that that had on me. Yeah, so I had one more. I had one more suicide attempt, okay, about, um, about nine months after she died. And um, during the process of that suicide attempt, a thought occurred to me that had never ever occurred to me before. I was uh, going out of consciousness, you know, from the uh, from the gas, because uh, I was gassing myself. I was determined I wasn't going to pick up a drug again. You know, I wasn't going to lose my fucking clean time. I want to die, but I wasn't going to lose my clean time. Fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So while I was while I was coming in out of consciousness, you know, like, and I got to tell you, gassing myself in the car with no drugs in your system really. It's not a pleasant experience. Don't don't do it. I'm just don't. <laughs> it's not. It is not fun. Okay. Um. Yeah. I was going. As I was going out of consciousness. Yeah. This thought occurred to me. Um. Is it that I want to die, or is it actually that I don't want to live? It had never ever occurred to me before that there are actually two different questions. They're actually two very very different questions. Because if I want to die, well, that's the place I want to go. You know, that's got that's got positive energy behind it. That's the place I want to go. But if it's that I don't want to live, then there's a bracket at the end of that sentence. That bracket says, because it's really, I don't want to live with things the way they are. And then I realized that I had to make changes. I had to make changes. And I was responsible for that because this program had already taught me this program had taught me that nobody else is going to fix me. I'm the only one who can do that. I'm the only one who can do that stuff. I have to fix me. I have to take responsibility for that stuff. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's over 22 years ago now. So I haven't had, I haven't had a suicide attempt in over 22 years. Now, yeah, bear in mind, this is someone who had a first suicide attempt at like five. Okay, right. And the last one, I was like, um, uh, like thirty-nine, and here I am. Uh, no, hang on. Many years ago, forty, forty, forty-nine, I guess. Yeah, somewhere in there, anyway. I don't know. I am so not good with maths. Ugh. Still don't fit in my family. <laughs> yeah. So, whenever it was, it was ninety-eight. Anyway, it was it was uh, ninety-eight. Okay, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, around there. 
And um, so it's a long time. It's a long time, you know, and that's just phenomenal. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. And um, it does mean, it does mean that I've had to learn to lean into the pain and also lean into the, because, you know, part of the pain, all right, and this is where this stuff with kind people comes along, just random, good word, random kind people, okay, all right? Um, this is the thing that, because the people who were supposed to take care of me did a really, really shitty job, okay, when I was a child. They did a really, really lousy job, okay? Um, and I had all my expectations and hopes pinned on that, all right? But the truth of the matter is that besides all that shitty stuff, there were some actually rather kind people. There was a really nice chap who lived next door. I could always go over and knock on his door and, and just shoot the breeze and talk about anything at all. Um, and he was always prepared to listen to me. He was always prepared to be there for me, you know. And, um, and there were a couple of teachers who were really, really nice. They were really, really kind. They really cared. Um, there was the dairy farmer. There was the dairy farmer who rescued me and my baby, you know, when I was delirious and she was just sopping wet and smelly and screaming, you know, like, I mean, we weren't, we weren't adorable people. <laughs> but he helped anyway, okay? When I first got to the rooms, you know, like the women who would pick me up and take me to meetings and take me home again, all that kind of stuff, I, could, I couldn't even get myself together to shower, you know, like my clothes were rotting on my body, you know? They were rotting on my body. I'm quite sure I stank, you know? And as soon as anybody cried, I'd be, you know, snuffleupagus with the bloody, you know, like the snot and, you know, everything else, you know, and, uh, and crying. And um, kind people, just these random kind people, okay? And that's because I'm atheist, right? Okay? That's where I get the love that I need to stay clean, to keep breathing through the really dark and painful times, to do the amazing things, because I've done some really amazing things. Like, it's not just like, you know, that shit happened like 20, it's been 20 years since then, right? Okay, you know, since, uh, since like, you know, death of my daughter and suicide. I've traveled overseas, you know? I've travelled. Uh, I've travelled around Australia, you know, like here and there and hither and yon, and you know all that kind of stuff, you know, three times, three times, and you know, like I, <laughs> I learned to play guitar in recovery, you know, I learned to write songs, you know, um, I get to be who I am. I get to be that misfit that I have always been, but you know what? Yeah, maybe sure I didn't fit in my family. Maybe I don't fit particularly well, uh, like culturally, you know, because I never really want to support, you know, society at large, you know. However, I fit perfectly, absolutely perfectly inside my own skin. I like who I am. I don't necessarily always like how I feel. However, I like who I am and my emotions my emotions that to me were the antithesis for me for so much of my life I now realize are actually vital to my healing because they inform me of who I am 
what my values are, what I need to do, what works, what doesn't work, you know. That's uh, vital, vital for my well-being. And, um, yeah, I've probably talked way too long and, and bored you all shivers, and thank you so much <laughs> for giving me the opportunity to do that. Thank you.